This past month, we've been unpacking this, this in theme. When God takes hold. Three weeks ago, we looked at when God takes hold, people follow through. Um, dads, it was Father's Day, learn to, to say what they do, what they say, and say what they do. They follow through things. And then the week after that, we talked about when God takes hold of people's lives, they, they learn to lie straight. Things that were sort of crusty in their behavior and character get smoothed out, and they, they have a new integrity that kind of travels with them. And last week, we talked about, it was a brilliant week, when God takes hold, uh, there's this dynamic in which people begin to look beyond themselves. And Yuan was talking about that in, in a way this morning. Um, in fact, that thread from last week carried on during this week. I was speaking to a particular couple this week. And they said, you know what? I was in my workspace. I was delivering some parcels down there in Melbourne, uh, down to the Melbourne Post Office. And I noticed that there was someone from an old workspace that I hadn't seen for a number of years. And I went up to him just feeling prompted and nudged. I could have walked past and just sort of ignored the fact that I hadn't seen this person for a number of years. But it was one of those moments, and you'd been talking about when, when God takes hold, people follow through, and it was one of those little nudges. And he said, I took the nudge up, <laughs> uh, my words, and uh, I went up to the person and said, hi, how you doing? And he said, I'm actually doing horribly. He said, what do you mean? He said, well, um, my wife and I have fallen on hard times, uh, her medical bills have got so big that we've actually couldn't make payments on the house and we're living in our car. He said, you're kidding me. He said, no, we're, we're living in our car. And he said, and what's worse is that we're doing payments on the car. We don't even own the car. And so at that moment, he, he said, can we talk some more? And so they did. And, and, and this uh, couple from New Community said, you know what, we're going to pay your bills and I know what ticks around mind is it's going to be a bottomless, endless bit, but they said, no, no, we, we know the folk and we've checked and we're not going to just, we're going to be wise about this, but at the same time, we just feel God nudging us and that this is part of actually what it means to follow Jesus. People follow through. And so we're going to pay the few thousands of dollars because we've got finance for that to do that and opening up a whole new opportunity for someone else's life because someone decided uh, last Monday morning to actually go with the prompt, the, the nudge, the, the push from God they felt and go up and say, hi, how you doing? Isn't that good? I am encouraged by that. People taking steps out to say, when, when Jesus takes hold of people's lives, there's a, there's a follow-through, and it has powerful effect. That, that, might, that might seem like a big one for you, but there might be smaller ones in smaller ways that you could respond in different ways, because God wants to nudge and prompt people all the time. Today we're talking about when God follows through, when God follows through, there's, a, there's something that takes place in people's lives. There's this sense in which they can stand firm. And when we started this month, we looked at this particular passage from a book of the Bible called the book of Acts. And it's, it's people telling the stories about after Jesus had come back to life um, and, and he went to be, he said, with his father. He said, I'm going to send to you a, a helper, a, a powerful agent, the Holy Spirit that's actually going to work in and through you. This is what Yuan was talking about this morning. And the passage goes something like this. Uh, Jesus told them, you, you don't get to know the time. The timing is far, God's or the Father's business um, of when I'm going to come back and recreate a new heavens and a new earth. But what you get is the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you'll be able to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all over Judea and Samaria, even to the ends of, of the world, even in China. Into the ends of the world, there's going to be this presence of mine that's going to be with you. 
See, being a Christian and following Jesus isn't just a set of rules and rituals. It's actually a living engagement with a God who says, I actually want to be with you and in you. And, and I actually want to be present with you. And that changes things. And, and so this, this month, we've been wanting to unpack what does that look like? And so today, when God takes hold, people tend to stand firm. Some years ago when I was doing some studies over in the United States, I went fishing because if anyone knows me here, I really kind of enjoy this thing called fishing, catching fish. And I was out one day at this particular stream, beautiful stream, and it was a time of year where salmon would run up the stream. Literally, you could see hordes of salmon moving up the stream on their way to spawn and then die. And uh, what you do is you just throw your line out there and you're trying to coax these things to actually just get annoyed enough so they, they grab the hook. And uh, I was there one particular day, and there was this big salmon. It would have been uh, about this big. It's about this big. And it was in the process of, of dying, but uh, I still threw my line out there, and I hooked it. Um, and I brought it in. It was really difficult to bring in because I foul hooked it. I hooked it in the back. And, and so I, I brought it in. And I'm holding this fish just like this in front of me, going, man, what a specimen. You know, even though it's not in great nick, I could take it home. I could do some bragging about this fish. But I knew that it was hooked in the top fin, and I knew the law over there was that if, unless it was in the mouth, it was called foul hooked, and you had to return it into the water. And I also knew over there that if you broke the law and someone was watching you, that they confiscate everything. They, they confiscate your rod. If you've got a boat, they get your boat. They get your car. They get your house. They get your family. They get everything if, if you take this thing. And so I'm holding this fish in front of me, and another fisherman comes up, and he sidles alongside me, and he said... Yeah, I know you, you foul hooked it and everything, but go on, take it home. No one's watching. No one will see. Let's take it home. And in that moment, I had a decision to make. Do I just go along with the flow of things? No one else was probably watching there, just me and the other guy. Or do I hold true to my values and my convictions? What do I do? You see, we face questions like that Every day. I wonder if I put it another way, if you ever have felt like this. (laughs) That in your life, something comes along your way, someone, something, whether you're at school, whether you're at university, whether you're in the workforce, whether you're working around the community here, and, and you're placed in a situation where you feel like you are the only one and you're swimming against the tide. And it's so much easier if you just... Turn around and do an about face and just go with the flow like everyone else. Anyone ever felt like that? Where, where the cost of social exclusion seems greater than the cost of holding on to your convictions about what you believe is valuable and right and true. Has anyone, anyone ever felt like the fish in the middle that's just heading the other direction? Because I have many times. So I put the fish back and I went on my way. With that question that you can be confronted with every day, every day, in different ways. In fact, I find it's really hard to swim against the flow on anything. Have you found that too? In fact, usually the things that prevent us from maintaining, from doing an about face, uh, are things or, or things that might want to cause us to do an about face are things like this. The fear of being embarrassed. I mean... Man, in the workplace, if I stand up and if I say something with all these guys around and they're tough and they're, they're looking at me and it's just so much easier to go along. But if I, I know if I speak out, I'm just, oh, 
embarrassing. And then sometimes it's like this. This is a powerful one, probably the most powerful one. The fear of being excluded. Not only am I going to get embarrassed, but I'm going to be excluded. I mean, I so want to be in with that group. I so want to be in that cluster. I so want to be in that little club. I so want to be in with the mums who meet. I so want to, I just... Uh... Well, the third one is this. Fear of being criticised. Man, what are you doing? If I stick my neck up, someone's going to criticise me. I'm going to be embarrassed. I'm going to feel excluded. And at the same time, I'm going to be criticised. I don't want to be criticised. You know what? It's so much easier, isn't it? To just do the about face and swim along like just everyone else. You see, when we're faced with different challenges in life, that really comes close to our sense of values and rights and wrong. We're faced with questions like this all the time, and what we need more than anything else is courage. See, courage isn't confidence. Courage is what's left behind when confidence has run away. <laughs> it was the AFL grand final yesterday. Was anyone happy about the result here? Yeah, anyone really? You can cheer. And that was so lame. I'm a Melbourne supporter, right? You know, if that was me, I would have just gone cartwheels in the thing because it happens like once every century. You got you Hawthorne guy. Are you getting? You're. I know you are getting. You're getting a bit cocky out there. I tell you what, his, uh, I, I lived down the countryside uh, some years ago when I was a high school teacher. And uh, the country league down there, they take it seriously. You know, they turn up with their cars around the oval and they toot their horns and they, it's, everyone's into it. And I was talking to a friend down there, it was a similar age, and he was playing for a local team and they made it into the grand final. And uh, he was known as a follower of Jesus, a Christian in that place, and he was fairly outspoken about it. But came along that particular day and they'd made the grand final. <clears throat> and so the club decided to do what some clubs down there would have done. They decided to celebrate and actually to sort of motivate the guys the week before the grand final. And so this usually involved uh, having some female entertainment that was fairly questionable. Um, young people here, so I won't go into it. And, uh, and along the way, um, this guy was part of the team and he went, nah, 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 nah. That's not right. I said, what did you do? He said, I called the coach. I said, what did you say? He said, you know, I'm a follower of God. I believe that God said that if you have those young ladies there doing what they are going to do to try and motivate the guys, that we're going to lose the grand final. I said, serious? He goes, yeah. I said, what did the coach do? He said, man, they get superstitious around there and they don't want to lose a grand final. Anything, they don't want to lose a grand final. So I said, what did they do? He said, he said they cut the halftime entertainment. <laughs> I said, what happened then on Saturday? He said, we won. <laughs> said, well done. I'm not in for God being on some particular side or not, but just anyone standing up against the flow is so, so hard. You can be embarrassed, you can feel excluded, you can be criticised, and it's in those moments. What people need is courage, and they need good cheer at the same time. In fact, this is, this is the story all over in the Bible, particularly in the book of Acts. I want to uh, tell you a story that, that continues on from uh, one of the places in Acts chapter 4, kind of noodling around this place in, in the book of Acts in the Bible in the last few weeks. And there's these two guys by the name of Peter and John, and they're followers of Jesus. And they've, they've walked to the temple one day, and there's been this, this man who's been crippled from birth. And he's been turning up at the temple gates to, to really hit, hit up on people for money. 
so he can survive. And they come on past on their way up to the temple and they, the man reaches his hand out because he's hitting them up for money. And, and these two guys, Peter and John, they turn to him and they say these words, silver and gold we don't have, but what we do have is the power of God in our lives through this person called Jesus. So we say, stand up and walk. And, and they pull him up and he gets up and he walks and there's this been miraculous thing that's happened and, and they can't, um, it's unexplained. And, and so there's this, this uproar around this, the temple area because people are saying, we've seen a crippled man start to walk. What's going on here? And the story picks up. While Peter and John were speaking to the people, they were confronted by the priests and the captain of the temple guard and some of the Sadducees. These are all people who had different roles to play up around this temple precinct. And these leaders were very disturbed that Peter and John were teaching that the, uh, the people that through Jesus there is a resurrection of the dead. And they arrested them. And since it was already evening, they put them in jail until morning. So here's these guys have just performed this through... God's performed through them this, this mighty, miraculous thing. And people, there's just been this commotion about it. And as a result of that, they get locked up in jail. <laughs> and then the story goes on and says this. They brought in the next day the two disciples and demanded, by what power or in whose name have you done this? And they're surrounding them. So the pressure's just been turned up. I mean, this is the point in where they're supposed to buckle and change direction. And the story goes on and says this. Then Peter, filled with, here it is again, the God's spirit, the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of our people, are we, uh, are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? Do you want to know how he was healed? Let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, the man you crucified by whom God raised from the dead. In fact, they go on and they say this, there is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. I mean, it's at this point in which they're surrounded by all these people that they're expecting them to buckle. It would have been so easy for Peter and John to go, oh, oh, oh we must have got it wrong. Uh, the guy mustn't have been crippled. I don't know. We just pulled him up. He's, he's probably just the same as it is. We'll just go along. It, it, uh, what were we thinking? But they didn't. They came out with a powerful statement that was filled with courage and conviction. There's this idea that, that wait a second, there is a relationship with God. Is, it happens through no other person, through no other means, through coming actually to know God and actually to step into his world, to actually... Being transformed from, if, if you like, from darkness to light, to actually having been forgiven and washed clean and, and, and to become part of God's family. So there's no other way or means that this can happen by. And they stood firm because they had this, this sense of courage about them. You might be here this morning and you're going, wait a second, wait a second. Are you telling me that all those other religions are wrong? They can't all be wrong. Well, let me put it to you another way. All those other religions can't be right either because they say something different all the time. This, when you compare them both and line them up, they actually say different things about the same stuff, so they can't all be, be right. Some, some of you here might say, well, wait a second, we have, we have science. Science saves people, and it does. Science is brilliant, saves many people's lives, but what it can't do is feed the human soul. What it can't do is what Yuan described this morning is Bring peace and a hope to the human soul. Science does some brilliant things, but it can't break the power of sin and selfishness that 
that hankers over this world that's the, the cause of so much of the conflict that we're reading about and experiencing and hearing in our streets and in our world. He says, actually, there's one person that can bring a peace and a transformation, and they held true to it. They embraced courage. You see, courage is not confidence. Courage is what remains and what's left over when confidence has run away. And it's based upon our convictions. What are your convictions? The things that you believe to be right and wrong about the world, the things that you to be true, things that you believe about the way in which the world is, the values. What are your convictions here today? And do you hold on to them? You see, because here we had Ned. He was the mayor of Whoville. And he had this encounter with an elephant that he couldn't see. But they'd communicated. He'd experienced the light and darkness so they could actually know there was something more. And there was this conviction that Ned held even when other people said, are you silly? That had changed his outlook. He had a different picture of the world. That had changed his sense of purpose and why he was actually the mayor of Whoville was to save their lives. It changed his attitudes, which led into his behaviors. He would actually commit himself to, to do all kinds of things in order to help the people see and know that there was something more. And that's exactly what Peter and John had experienced themselves. They'd seen a dead man come back to life. And so they had this conviction, no matter what other people said to them, is that even when it was hard at times and they wanted to buckle and turn the other way and go along with the flow, that they held true. I want to tell you, this is hard stuff. I remember when I was at high school, I had a friend. And we met some other people and a similar age. And one of them was a girl. And uh, we all got to know each other. One particular day, I don't know what got into him, he said, hey, let's, out of the blue, let's just call this, this girl up and let's, let's, um, let's have some fun. Didn't know what he meant. So I went along and he picked up a phone. We had, it was a phone you had to pick up in those days and put money in, money in, dial press and uh, he called and then he let loose on this tirade of this terrible language and he said mean and hurtful things and he was just having fun and he said yeah and that's what I think and that's what Troy thinks too and handed me the phone and I remember holding the phone at this this moment at high school going Whoa, what's, what's going on? And, and I kind of half went along with it, half didn't, because it was kind of, in, in the rush of the moment, I was like, yeah, yeah, hi, yeah, hi, hung up. And afterwards, the fallout from that was, was I mean, they had older siblings, they got in cars and drove over and wanted to talk and I'm like, man, this is scary. I know what my convictions were. I know that it wasn't right, that wasn't good, that wasn't... But you can get caught up in things. It was wrong. Tried to smooth it over. I realized at that point that I needed change. We all need change, don't we? 
In fact, the followers of Jesus in this story, as it picks up, they said this, they called the apostles back in and around and commanded them, never again speak or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John, they replied, embracing courage and the conviction that they had, do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We cannot stop telling people about everything that we have seen and heard. You see, they in that place held on to their convictions. And there's sometimes that you and I don't. See, one of the things this, this whole month has been around is been around change. That's why we did the card at the start of the month with this railway track. Because sometimes there's things in our lives that need to change. I needed to change. At least how I responded in that moment. We all need to change things about ourselves. And God is the king of change, if you like. He's the one who makes changes in our lives. And slowly and surely, changes happen when we decide that we need to actually go in a different direction. And so we set the compass a different way. And we recalibrate and we ask ourselves, what are the things I hold true to in my life? What are the things that I believe to be good and true? What is it about my faith that I hold on to? What is it about my values? What is it about? And I will hold on to them. Even if it means going against the flow. Even if it means deviating in a different direction. Well, come on, if you get to know God, you're going to be a goody-goody two-shoes. Well, come on, God's going to rob you of all the fun you want. What I discovered this is this about Christianity. And someone put it to me well the other day. They said, you know what? We think that life's goal is to get rid of all of the different laws and rules, and then we'll be free. If we get free of all those rules, and th- then, then we'll be happy. But actually, what I discover about God is that when you actually learn to obey his rules, you become free. It's kind of like the the teacher is trying to organize the students, and when they all of a sudden put some rules and boundaries around, the kids operate more effectively. That's the way it is with God. You see, God's into change. He invites people to be courageous. He invites people to hold on their convictions, but at the heart of what it means to know God is, is change. We were talking about it like this the other day in Journeys Group. It's the Spirit of God in someone's life that causes change. And Jesus said this, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God, no one can know God, no one can experience his life without being born of water and the Spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind but can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So you can't explain how people are born of God's Spirit. You see... God isn't just someone to be obeyed, a bunch of rules and regulations. God's to be experienced from the inside. It's kind of like the wind that's blowing out there today and it's pushing the trees. You can't always understand where the wind's coming from or where it's going, but you can see its effect on someone's life because God's alive and he causes change. wonder if you're here this morning. And this whole idea of when God takes hold, people follow through or they stand firm or they lie straight. And and you've been challenged over the last weeks and you're wondering, how is it that I can change? Well, it often comes down to a very simple but complex formula. 
that goes something like this. God, it's harder enough for me to change myself, never alone someone else. So would you do please a work in me? And so I just want to ask you to help me to change course in the direction of my life, to, to change course in one of the behaviors that you're nudging me about. And I just want to ask you now, will you come and help me? And then to make yourself accountable to someone else who can cheer you along the way. Because making any changes in our life is kind of like learning to throw a tennis ball with your opposite hand. It feels awkward and it needs practice along the way. Gonok and Luke are going to come up and they're going to just quietly play for us because this morning what I thought it might be really helpful and mindful to do just on a holiday time in which we're here together and is to maybe change it up a little bit and invite people to respond in a particular way. And so these are the things that I have us to think about as next steps this morning. First one is this, in the next few moments, what you might want to do is take some time to reflect. Maybe just to consider the things that you've been hearing. Courage, convictions, heading the other way. Maybe you want to spend some time praying. Maybe doing some confessing and saying, God, I just need your help because, yeah, I went along with the flow and I just... It's not me. It's not who you want me to be. You might want to just quietly call upon him and say, would you, would you cleanse me? Would you give me courage? Help me to stand firm for convictions wherever I am. Maybe you're here this morning and you say, you know, I'm a follower of Jesus. And there's a card like this. In fact, why don't you all just reach around and grab one? There's one of these white ones here. I just want to let everyone know that on Sunday, the 23rd of November, as a community, we're going to have this thing called baptism and affirmation around the life of new community. And, and um, baptism is something that people do. They get dunked underwater to say, God's alive in my life. And as an obedient step to following him, I, I want to be baptized. And for the younger people, it's an affirmation uh, saying, yeah, I, I want to follow Jesus. And just at a younger age. And if you're here this morning and you say, yeah, I want to follow Jesus, but you've never acted to actually publicly say that. I want you to tip that box and place it in the burgundy letterboxes so that you can, you can learn more about it leading up to the 23rd of November. We're going to invite all the NCR family to come along and, and bring a picnic and share that day. So this is for your diaries as well. If it's not you ticking the box, you can take that away. But the fourth thing, and we're going to create some space for that now, is to affirm Maybe you're here this morning and you say, actually, I believe what Peter and John were saying about Jesus, and I just want to affirm that. One of the most profound ways that early followers of Jesus affirmed that they were following him is that they would meet together, and they would take a cup, and they would take some bread, and they would pause for a moment, and they would eat the bread, and they would drink together just as a sign of saying, we want to thank you, Jesus, for what you've done in our lives and for coming back to life. And we want to draw closer to you. We want to stand strong in our convictions. And so in a few moments, I'm going to invite you, if you'd like to participate, to make your way to three different stations. And you can do that. 
and, and parents, if you could just uh, supervise the young ones too to be involved. You might share in that space. If you're here this morning and you go, I've never seen this before, I don't know what it is, then there's a card that you could take if you want to be involved. You can just come and pick up from the table and you can read that. And if you'd like to draw close to God, then I'd invite you to also, if you'd like to, participate in that as well. I wonder how God might be speaking to you this morning.